Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Has anyone ever heard of the curse of the Bambino. If you've, if you've heard of that, raise your hand. The curse of the Bambino. Well, if you haven't heard of that, back in 1919, the Boston Red Sox sold their best player, his name was Babe Ruth, also known as the Bambino, to the New York Yankees in 1919. And if you don't know who Babe Ruth is, here's a picture of Babe Ruth right here. Perhaps one of the greatest, love that look on his face right there. Perhaps one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Now here's why, here's why this is so significant because up to that point in 1919, the Red Sox had won five world championships with Babe Ruth as their leading hitter, home run hitter, pitcher. He was one of the best players. Their owner sold them to the Yankees. After they sold them to the Yankees, Yankees, they invoked the curse of the Bambino. For the next 86 years, the Boston Red Sox failed to win a championship. During those 86 years, guess how many championships the Yankees won? Guess how many? 27 championships. In fact, the first four out of the gate after 1919 were led by none other than Babe Ruth himself. So 27 to zero, that is the curse of the Bambino. Well, that all changed if you were paying attention back in 2004 when the Boston Red Sox were facing their nemesis, the New York Yankees in the ACLS championship. Essentially, what had happened was the Boston Red Sox were down 3 0. Does anybody remember this, baseball fans? I know, I know some of you are like, another sports analogy. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm sorry. But there's so many awesome comebacks when it comes to sports. If you were paying attention back then, you know that they were three games down. They were in game four. In fact, the Yankees were three outs away from moving on to the World Series. And then all of a sudden, the Yankees pitcher walked a man. That man got on first base. There was a pinch runner. That pinch runner, I can't remember his name. He stole second base, perhaps the most important stolen base of all time in baseball history because no other team has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit. Well, then they got a base hit, and that guy scores, and then they win in game four. They win game five, six, and seven. They go on to sweep the Cardinals in the World Series, and it has gone down as the greatest comeback in baseball history. Is that not an amazing story or what? And the curse. First, the Bambino was snapped. It was broken. We are talking about comebacks in this series, and we all love a great comeback story because it gives us hope, it gives us inspiration, it gives us, you know, this belief that maybe I can come back in my life. And before we jump into this last and final segment of our series, I want to welcome all of our first-time guests right now, whether you're joining us at Banta, at Franklin, at Garfield Park, at Seymour, here at Greenwood, or if you're watching online at one of our e-microsites, can we give it up for all of our first-time guests today? Thank you for coming. 
If you're not brand new, welcome back. I want to give a, a really quick shout out to Pastor Ashley over at the Franklin campus. She had her baby yesterday. That's right. Gave birth to a little baby. And they have not told us what the sex yet is yet. So uh, you might just flood her with Facebook messages like, is it a boy or a girl? No, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, but we're very excited for her and for her new baby. So anyway... We're, uh, so we're jumping into this last week of this series. We've been talking about making a comeback. And we need this information because all of us suffer setbacks. It's just part of life. We, we have, you know, relationship setbacks, financial setbacks. You know, sometimes we get involved with the wrong person. We, have, we, 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 we get set back because of a, a bad relationship. Or maybe the, the company downsizes and we get let go. Uh, or, or maybe we just uh, don't study and we fail a class or, 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 or some other. We, we are always going through setbacks. Sometimes it's a friendship. A friend stabs you in the back and you lose a friend, that is a constant part of our life. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe you've lost a loved one. I have a friend of mine just lost his father last week, all of a sudden, without of nowhere. Like, these things happen to us. And if we're not prepared, and if we're not ready, it's going to be tough to bounce back after these setbacks. So we've been talking about this. How do you mount a setback? A setback? Uh, week number one, we talked about you got to believe, right? you got to have faith. Week number two, we talked about you have to have these compelling reasons to bounce back. Week number three, we talked about a strategy. That was last week on Easter Sunday. And today I want to talk to you about this last and final step of mounting a comeback. Last week I left it blank here for you because I wanted everyone to kind of come back. Looks like it worked a little bit. Uh, but let me give you this fourth and final step to a comeback. Step number four is grit. Grit. I love that word. I just love the way it sounds. Grr, grit. Sounds important. Sounds deep. Grit. I wrote it like this in your notes. A successful comeback requires grit. I looked it up in the dictionary, grit. It, it, one, of the, one of the definitions was an indomitable spirit, an inconquerable spirit. You know what came to my mind? Because of my childhood movie watching, you know, I used to watch a lot of, a lot of movies and uh, Rambo came to mind. <laughs> Anybody remember Rambo? Not the new ones where everybody gets their head chopped off and there's blood and guts everywhere. I don't, I'm not talking about the most recent ones. I'm talking the ones back in the 80s, you know, like First Blood, John Rambo, you know. He's just a drifter through town and the, the cops start picking on him and then he fights back and then they send like 200 guys at him and he kills everybody, you know, because he knows how to do jungle warfare. What a great movie. In fact, if you've not seen First Blood, Go home Sunday afternoon and, and rent First Blood. It is a great spiritual experience. I mean, look at this guy. I mean, he's just like just this total indomitable spirit. I, no matter what they threw at him, bombs, guns, knives, he would bounce back and he would overcome. Okay, let's get a little bit more spiritual, okay? That's kind of fun. But I also think of somebody else when I think of grit or an indomitable spirit, and that is the Apostle Paul. If you've read the New Testament, you've read what kind of guy this was. I mean, before he met Jesus, he was actually going door to door, trying to find Christians to throw them in jail. In fact, at one point, he even oversaw the murder of, 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 of Stephen, who was a believer in Jesus. He was a fanatic. You could call him a terrorist at that time. He was 100% committed to wiping out Christianity because he saw it as a, as a false religion. Well, then one day on his horse, Jesus literally knocks him off his horse and, 
and shows up and speaks to him, and Paul realizes that, oh my gosh, Jesus is real. Well, not only that, Jesus tells him, you're going to be my mouthpiece. You're going to be my, my messenger. You're going to be the, the one that tells the Jews about me and the Gentiles, and so you're going to go forth. And as you go forth and tell this message of grace and love and hope and forgiveness, you are going to face major opposition, but you're not going to give up. So he does, the exa- he does exactly what Jesus tells him to do and dedicates his life to telling people about the grace of God. And he faces massive persecution from people who are believers, from people who say they're believers, they're not believers, from people who are Jews that, 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 that hate him. And so, in fact, at one point in, in 2 Corinthians, he writes about all of the opposition and the difficulty that he faced. And I want you to hear, and it's kind of lengthy, but he wrote it, and I think it's worth, worth listening to and reading. Listen to what Paul said. He says, I've worked harder been in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Now, if you would have given me 39 lashes one time, I would have said, okay, uncle, I'm gonna, try, I'm gonna go into a different profession. But that's just my level of grit. <laughs> and, but he doesn't give up. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, not with marijuana. Three times, <laughs> three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea, I've traveled on many long journeys. He continues, watch this. I faced danger from, river, from rivers and robber, robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. No, I could go nowhere without facing danger, he says. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers and were not. I've worked harder and longer and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry. I've been thirsty. I've often gone without food. And then he says this. I have shivered in the cold. Have you ever shivered in the cold? Because you didn't have heat for some reason, one reason or another. It's awful. Without enough clothing to keep warm. Then besides all this. I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Essentially, what Paul was doing was he was going from city to city to city, planting these churches. And, and at the end of you know, a, a long period, he, he, he basically was responsible. He felt responsible for the care of all the pastors and the elders of all the churches in these different cities, on top of all the persecution. And he never gave up. In fact, in order to stop this guy, they had to kill him. Tradition says they chopped his head off. That's what you have to do to somebody who will not Stop. You and I need just a little bit of his grit. Do you agree? Because we face setbacks. We face hardships. We lose a job. We lose a loved one. We, we get diagnosed with, with, with some sort of physical illness. A friend does betray us. A, a spouse does cheat on us. Like things go wrong in our life. And if you don't have the, the grit to get back up and keep on going, you're going to be in trouble for a very, very long time. Back in 2016, a woman named Angela Duckworth wrote a book called none other than, you guessed it, Grit. What a great name for a book. Angela Duckworth got her uh, bachelor's uh, of neurobiology at Harvard University. Then she went over to Oxford and got her master's in neuroscience. Then she went on to University of Pennsylvania to get her PhD in psychology. She's a pretty smart gal, do you think? You think? She's done her studies, she's done her research, and she basically dedicated her life to try to figure out, like, why is it that some people can keep on going when it's hard and others give up? 
So she went to uh, West Point Military Academy to study future uh, soldiers. She went into the inner city to study, you know, teachers in the inner city who were really facing difficulty. She did a whole study on high school juniors. Uh, she went into private, the private sector and studied why some salespeople continue to push forward when it gets hard and, and, and why do they have long-term success. You know what she found? She found something very interesting. Most people think that the reason why people are successful are because of their IQ. Oh, they're just, they're just brilliant. That wasn't what she found. That wasn't the common denominator. Most people think that uh, people are successful because of talent. Oh, they're so talented. A lot of people say that about Michael Jordan. <laughs> That's true, but it's not true. It's not true, right? They think it's talent. Oh, if I had his talent, I would have done it too. No, you wouldn't have. <laughs> They think it's IQ, they think it's talent, they think it's good looks, oh, but he's so handsome, she's so attractive. That's why they got, that's why they're so successful, you know? IQ, talent, good looks. A lot of people think it's, oh, who you know? Well, they just knew the right people, so because they knew the right people, they were able to become massively successful. All the, you, have you heard these stories? Do you say this stuff? That's not what Angela Duckworth's research found. It wasn't IQ or good looks or talent or who you know. It was this quality that she originally said was, or called stamina. And then she changed that word to this word, grit. And here's how she defines grit in the book. Grit is passion and perseverance for long-term goals. Passion and perseverance for long-term goals. And what she means by passion in the book is love, pure love for the thing that you are doing, the objective before you, an absolute passion and love to see students graduate from high school, to, to graduate yourself and go on to college and get the degree that you want. An absolute love and passion to, to, to fight for your country and defend your country. An absolute love and passion for whatever it is that is in front of you. The people that were, were passionate about what they were doing were the people who had this thing called grit. Now, think about the Apostle Paul. I just got done telling you, he was beaten five times. He was uh, beaten with sticks over the head five to, uh, three times. He was pelted with rocks and stones until he's left for dead. Nothing could stop this guy. So I was like, well, is, was he a passionate guy? Was he in love with what God called him to do? Was he in love with God? Let me show you one little passage in Romans chapter nine that I think will prove my point. In Romans chapter 9, Paul said this, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. Why? For his brothers, for his people, his Jewish brothers and sisters. Why? Because they had rejected Christ. They had said, Jesus is not the Messiah. He is not the one that the Old Testament wrote about. He is not the one who will save us. He is not the one who, who's going to die for our sins. We don't even believe he died for our sins. They rejected Christ and it broke his heart. Listen to what he says next. I would be willing to forever, to be forever cursed, to be cut off from Christ if that meant that they would be saved. Whoa. Think about that. What is he saying? He's saying, I would be willing to go to hell forever and be eternally separated from God if that meant that they could go to heaven and be with Christ. That's how much he loved them. That's how committed he was to telling people about the gospel. That's how much he loved people that he would be willing to be cut off from Christ so that they could experience eternal life. How do you stop somebody like that? You don't. You have to kill them. And that's what they did. 
See, Paul was in love with Christ. He was in love with the mission that God gave him. And here's, what, here's what's true. When a person is in love with the mission that they have, that love fuels their stamina. It gives them energy to keep on going when they face roadblock or setback or roadblock or a setback. They don't give up. They keep on going. Why? Because they love what they're doing, and that love produces perseverance. Back when I was in college, I read a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 20 that, that I believe sort of shaped my life and, and propelled me in the direction of being a pastor. It was written by Paul in Acts chapter 20. Listen to what he said. But my life is worth nothing to me. In other words, my life is valueless. I hold my life to be, to be worth nothing unless I do this one thing. I use it for finishing the work that was assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. See, that day when, when Jesus knocked Paul off the horse, he gave him a mission. And the mission was simple. I want you to be my mouthpiece to tell the world about the good news of the grace of God. And that's exactly what Paul says. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. In other words, Paul, cancel all your plans. Because you're going to be my tool, my vessel, my missionary, my pastor, my preacher. To tell the Jews and the Gentiles about eternal life through Christ. And it was his love that gave him stamina and perseverance. See, you and I need some of that. Don't you agree? Yes or no? We need that. We need that. We need love for our marriages. We need love for our families. We need love to, to raise great kids. We need love for the work that we do. And if we're, if we're passionate and we're in love with the thing that's put in front of us, nothing will stop us. No, no, no parenting issue is going to stop you. No marital issue is going to stop you if you are passionate about the objective in front of you. Does that make sense? Now, when I talk about this with some people, and in fact, I've read about this, a lot of people think, well, you know what? I think grit is something you're born with, and I don't have much of it. I'm not very gritty. Like, it's fine for you to say, but I, you know, I, I'm just not that tough. I give up easy. I throw the towel in. I'm weak. Some people are born with grit. Others are not. That's not true. That's not true. The research shows that that's not true. The research, the research actually shows that grit can be developed. That grit is like a muscle. It's like a bicep. And if you work the bicep, the bicep gets stronger if you keep working it. You say, okay, well, how do I get it? How do I work that muscle? How do I achieve grit? That's a great question. And here's the answer in your notes. Your grit is developed by learning to interpret events optimistically. This is how we work the muscle of grit in our life. Something negative happens, a setback of some sort, a betrayal, a job loss, a sickness, you lose a loved one, and we interpret the event optimistically. In her book, uh, specifically chapter nine, if you are a parent, if you are a coach, if you are a high school principal, a high school teacher, you've got to get this book, and you've got to read chapter nine. It is fantastic, the chapter's called Hope. In that chapter, Angela Duckworth says this. How do grit paragons, or people who have a gritty mindset, how do they think about setbacks? That's what this whole series is about. How do they look at setbacks in their life? Overwhelmingly, I have found that they explain events, say it with me, optimistically. Something negative happens, and they give it an optimistic interpretation. And this is what grows grit in our life. Greedy people have learned to look at the situation and say, this is a good thing. 
And the reason why it's a good thing is because it's going to make me stronger. It's going to develop my faith. I'm going, to have a, I'm going to have to find different resources. I'm going to have to connect with different people. I'm going to have to learn a new skill. I'm going to have to figure this out. And that is a positive thing. I'm going to have to trust God more. Even though it's not fun and even though you wouldn't wish it and even though you didn't want it, it's still a positive thing. Gritty people have attached a positive interpretation to negative events. That could change your life. And so as Angela Duckworth has discovered this concept, she's, she's leaned into the research of another brilliant woman named Carol Dweck who wrote a book called Mindset. Again, if you were a teacher, a coach, an educator, you work with children, this is a must read. Carol Dweck's research is so important that she has, she has earned nine lifetime achievement awards because of her research. Like, how do we even do that? How do you even do one? <laughs> She is now consulting governments around the world in, in relation to education and their school systems. And what she's found and discovered is that when it comes to mindset, there's two, there's two types of kids. There's two types of people. There's a growth mindset person and then there's a fixed mindset person. A growth mindset person simply says, my talent, my skill, my ability, my knowledge, my intelligence has not reached its maximum potential. In other words, there's room to grow. I can get better. I can get smarter. I can get faster. I can get quicker. And this is so important for high school students and middle school students to understand specifically. Because if they don't, if they have a fixed mindset, the fixed mindset's much different. The fixed mindset says, I am what I am. And that's all that I am. Who said that? Popeye. Come on, folks. <laughs> Remember the cartoons? I am that I am, and that's all that I am, you know? Fixed mindset. I'll never get better. I'll never get faster. I'll never get taller. I'll never throw further. I'll never be smarter. My, my, my knowledge about math is what it is. I can't learn anymore. I can't read any faster. Well, if your intelligence and skill set is fixed, you are going to give up, yes? But the kids, what, what the research finds is that the kids who, who believe that their, their skill set hasn't blossomed yet, that there's still room for growth, these are the kids that endure. And then what they do is, because they see themselves that way and their talent that way and their skill that way, they look at their situation that way. And they transfer what's true about themselves into their situation. They say, hey, this situation is not permanent. Here, here's what they've come to. They've come to this realization that failure is not permanent. Failure is not, this is temporary. I can fix this. I can learn. I can figure this out and we can move on. This is powerful, powerful truth I'm sharing with you today. You develop grit by learning to interpret events in an optimistic way. Now, here's what I love about the Bible and that's why I read it every day. I do not miss a day. I'm in the Bible. It was in the Bible this morning reading it. I believe it is God's word. I believe it's truth. I love it when modern day research from the last, you know, 20 years or so and all the research and all the studies of these brilliant people, PhDs and masters of this and that, they dis I love it when they discover something that, that the, the Bible talks about 2,000 years ago. I love it when that happens. It's like, they, it's like all the really smart people are finally catching up to the wisdom of the Bible. Don't you love it when that happens? James, the brother of Jesus, now, can you imagine that? You're the brother of, the, uh, of, of God. Like you're growing up in the house and the guy in the next bedroom is, is, is the creator of the universe. Try that on for size. And then one day he tells you, hey, like, I'm the Messiah. And you're like, you're an idiot. Get over here. I'm going to put you in a headlock. And, you know, you know, it's like, how do you even do that? Well, it was touch and go there for a while because James didn't automatically believe in Jesus. He finally did and then became a major figure in the New Testament. And he wrote the book of James, that's right, you're with me, okay. He wrote the book of James. 
he did become a believer, and this is what he said 2,000 years before Carol Dweck and Angela Duckworth. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Brothers and sisters, when troubles, when setbacks, when failures, difficulties of all kinds come your way, which they will, consider it an opportunity for what? Joy. Great joy. And most of us, we interpret negative events like this. This is an opportunity to get angry. This is an opportunity to get depressed. This is an opportunity to get sad. This is an opportunity to get worried. This is an opportunity to get fearful. That's how most people think about negative troubles, negative events. James is saying, whoa, consider this difficulty an opportunity for great joy. Why? Because you know that when your faith is tested, in other words, the difficulty came into your life to test the strength and quality of your faith. When your faith is tested, your, and there it is, your grit, your endurance, your stamina has a chance to do what? To you can get stronger. This muscle called grit can get stronger if you interpret the events optimistically. And then he continues, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, like a, a baby who's been inside its mother's womb for nine months, it's ready to come out, right? Get that baby out of the oven. It's fully developed. Doesn't belong in there anymore. Then you'll be perfect and completely needing nothing. Not that you'll be a perfect human being, but that you'll be ready for life ready to endure the challenges of a marriage or the challenges of parenting or the challenges of a difficult job or whatever the challenges are in front of you. Grit can grow if you interpret events optimistically. Last October, I uh, took my son on a three and a half day hiking trip into the mountains of North Carolina for like sort of this 18 year old birthday coming of age father son trip with about 100 other guys. And we got there at about seven o'clock at night and we were going through the, you know, the um, orientation or whatever. And we've all got like backpacks on for, you know, for, for three days in the wilderness, like in the mountains. Like I'm talking about tent hiking. I'm talking about like when they, they give you a shovel and they say, here's your bathroom. <laughs> I'm like, what's that? It's a shovel. Yeah. So when you go, you dig a hole. Needless to say, I didn't go to the bathroom for three days. When we got there, every man got a bag. And like, oh, what's this? You know, they're handing out stuff. Like, what's, what's in the bag? And so they said, this is your food for, for three and a half days. So I open it up, and my son opens it up. We're there together, and we look, and we're like, whoa. So I look inside, and there are two bags of ramen noodles. This was our dinner. Then I looked inside. There was a, a bag of rice. That was interesting. Then there was two bags of oatmeal, that was our breakfast, and then there was a little bit of cheese and, and, and some sausage, and then there was a bag of peanuts, and then there was the coveted Snickers bar. <laughs> and every man got a bag, and I thought, oh, that's awesome for the first day, I can't wait to see what we're going to eat tomorrow. And they said, no, that's your food for the next three and a half days. And I was like, what? And I thought, what have, what have I gotten myself into? What have I brought my son into? <laughs> so that night, we hike for who knows how long, in the dark, with headlamps, up a mountain. I think it was about 1 o'clock. We finally got to our space. We set up our tent. They woke us up before the sun. The next day, we, we hiked 17 miles. 
The third day, we hiked, I think, a total of seven miles, but as we were hiking, they had us do all this crazy, manly, gnarly stuff, like sumo wrestling. That was incredible. Half the guys had shirts, half the guys had didn't. That was really interesting. When you find, when you find your hand in someone else's armpit that they haven't showered for in you know, two days. A lot of fun. They had us walk in a, in a, in a river uh, that was up to the knee and some places up to the, up to the uh, waist for about 30 minutes upstream just to kind of push us to the, the, the idea behind this, this, this event was to push every man to the limit, to the edge, to where we wanted to quit so that we could grow our grit and grow our endurance and grow our faith. Well, after we got out of the river, dried off, they said, we got another challenge for you and they had cut pieces of logs out probably about this long and thick, and you had to carry the log on your shoulders up a mountain for 45 minutes. And they said, we want, you to, we want you to connect with the sufferings of Christ as he carried the cross up the hill of Calgary to die for your sins. And boy, did we connect with Christ. It was so painful. It was in the dark. We only had headlamps, and we were suffering. We had very, very little food. I lost 10 pounds in three and a half days. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I've got my son with me. And I had an opportunity to put all this stuff that I'm reading and Carol Dweck and Angela Duckworth and James chapter one, and, I'm, and this is my chance, this is my chance. And to be quite honest with you, I didn't do that well. In fact, there was one point I looked at my son and I said, I'm not gonna make it. <laughs> and my 18 year old son had to say, Dad, we're gonna make it, I promise. I think at one point, uh, it was so cold one evening that I spooned him. That's right. That's right. I'm not ashamed. We got real close on this event. He's going he's gonna to hit me for that one when we get home. <clears throat> but I had to dig deep and I had to think, okay, this is going to grow me. This is going to help me. This is gonna, I'm going to connect with my son. I'm going to learn to trust God more. I'm going to dig in and find inner resources that, 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 are, that are places. I'm going to have to look into my soul to find strength in places I'm, I normally don't have to look. I can't depend on food. I can't depend on, I've got to trust God. And the one thought, you want to know what the one thought was that kept me going? <laughs> this was the one thought. If I don't bring my son home alive, my wife is going to kill me. <laughs> and I used my mind, and my son used his mind, and all the men. We only had one guy quit. You believe that? Out of 100 guys. See, here's what we have to understand. Here's how life unfolds. There's events that happen, right? You go on a hiking trip. Someone betrays you. You get sick. You lose a loved one. Something happens. And then there's the meaning that we give to the event, which is not a slam dunk. You get to decide the meaning of the event. Is this an opportunity for great joy, or is this an opportunity to get angry and depressed? See, the meaning that you give the event creates the emotional state that you're in. Man, if you can get a hold of that, ooh, that'll change your life. A lot of times we're, we're in an emotional state, and, and then someone says, what's wrong? And, and, and we start to tell them what's wrong, and we talk about the event that took place, and we're justifying our emotional state because of the negative thing that happened. Children do that. Adults are supposed to grow out of that and stop blaming the events of our life that are creating the emotional state that we're in. 
And the way that we crawl out of that, grow out of that, is by giving positive interpretations to the negative events that happen in our life. This is not easy stuff, but it's what we must do if we want to develop grit in our lives. Someone who helped me with this a couple of years ago was a guy named Ryan Holiday. He wrote a little book called The Obstacle is the Way. The title says itself. He's not a Christian guy, but he's into the Stoic philosophers. And, and, and this, this sentence in the book really helped, under, helped me understand uh, even what I'm talking about today. He says this, we can see opportunity in every disaster. We can, it's a possibility. And because we can see opportunity in every disaster, we can transform that negative situation into an education, a skill set, or even a fortune. Seen properly, listen, seen properly, everything that happens, be it an economic crash or a personal tragedy, is a chance to move forward. You buy that idea, it'll change your life. You'll develop grit, perseverance, and stamina in your life. Everything that happens to me is an opportunity to trust God more, is an opportunity to learn a new skill set, is an opportunity to connect with new people, it's an opportunity to trust God in a way I've never trusted him before, it's an opportunity to forgive like I've never forgiven before. There is something positive in this. And that's how you develop grit in your life. See, everybody, every one of us is telling ourselves a story about the negative things that are happening in our life. And that story is generating an emotional state. Whether that emotional state is positive or negative depends on the story that we're telling. So if you struggle with a lot of negative emotions like depression and fear and anger and frustration, here's my challenge to you today. Look at the story you're telling yourself. Like, what's the narrative going on in your mind? Are you saying things to yourself like, well, uh, you know, God, God must be angry with me, or I, I never get any breaks, or, you know, I'm, I always get dealt a bad hand, like, like, I, like all the good guys are taken, or, you know, or, or woe is me. If that's the story that you're telling yourself, you're going to produce a negative emotional state. What if you change the narrative? What if you gave the negative event a positive story? Whoa. You'd start to experience things like hope. You'd start to experience things like joy, things like happiness. You'd start to develop stamina in your life because your emotional state, which is the source of your actions, right? We act out of our emotions. We feel something and then we do something, yes? Right? So give the negative events a positive interpretation, create positive emotions and what you're going to find are positive actions in your life. And this is how we develop grit in our life. So here's my question to you. What story are you telling yourself? I'm dedicated to telling myself a positive story. I don't always succeed. And certainly during that three and a half day journey in the wilderness, I had some times where I was telling myself a bad story. I was telling myself this story. Who tricked me into this? This is sadistic. This is organized suffering. I'm going to strangle somebody. <laughs> that really was some of the thoughts. That, and I had to get a hold of that story. And if I would have kept that story going, I would have continued to have anger. And I just might have punched somebody in the face. You see? But instead, I'm like, no, this is good. This is challenging. This is worth it. Connecting with my son, growing my faith, growing my endurance. And we made it through. What story are you telling yourself? This is how we develop grit. Is this a blessing or what? Is this helpful or what? Yes? 
Yes, we have to believe. Yes, we have to have reasons. Yes, yes, we have to have a strategy, but we also have to have grit. Now, let me wrap up today by just speaking to a few of you, and, and you, you know who you are in just a second, you know, once I start talking here. There's some of you that have attached a narrative or a story to God that is unfair. Because bad things have happened to you in your life, whatever they are, and I'm not gonna deny that they're not bad. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe a mother, your mother passed away and you prayed that she wouldn't and she did. Bad things happen to everybody. But you are interpreting that, bad, that, that, that negative event with this story right here. Man, if, if there was a God of love out there, he wouldn't have let this happen. God doesn't even care about me. Look, what, look, what, look what's happening. Look, I was abused. If God were real, he would have blocked this. He would have stopped this. And, and because you've attached that story to the negative event about God, you find it really, really hard to trust him or believe in him or put your faith in him. You see the power of a narrative? It blocks us. I'm gonna challenge you today with a different narrative, a different story. You see, here's what's true about the pain in your life and the difficulty in your life, as well as the joys and the successes. God is using all of that, both the good and the bad, to draw you into a relationship with himself. In fact, one author, C.S. Lewis, said it like this, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain gets our attention. It helps us to, to dial in what is going on. God has been drawing you into himself for a long time. Here's the true story. He loves you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to pay for your sin to be in a relationship with you. Not to start a religion or, or start a church, but to bring you home to himself, to know him, to walk with him, to love him, to experience him, to find acceptance in everything your heart has ever longed for in a relationship with him. That's the true story. So maybe today that finally clicks, something made sense for you, and you'd like to trust in God today and put your faith in Jesus today. Well, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer a child can pray. And if you feel led to pray this prayer, just take these words, turn it into your own prayer, add your faith to it, and step into a relationship with God today. Will you pray with me? If you feel led to, just say this to him. Dear Jesus, sorry for the wrong story, the wrong narrative that I've attached to the negative events in my life. I receive the new story. You've been drawing me into yourself, pulling me closer. And I hear you. And today I receive that new story. I believe you died, Jesus, on the cross for me to heal me, to forgive me to be in fellowship with me, to walk with me, talk with me, to walk through the highs and the lows of life. And so I ask you to be my savior today. Forgive me of my sin. I trust that you died for me and you rose again so that I could have life. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God glory, church, amen? All of our campuses, we rejoice. Anyone who's put their faith in Christ today, what we've done for you really quick, if you just trusted in Christ, we have put together a little starter kit. We call it our save box. 
Uh, if you just trusted in Christ, we would encourage you to text SAVE to 65248. And if wherever you are, whatever campus you're at, you can grab one of these at, uh, in the information desk. If you're watching online, you can put a little bit more information in there. We'll send one of to, one to these to you in the mail. Uh, inside this box, there is uh, some information about our church, how to get connected to a small group, how to get baptized, how to get circumcised, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, no, 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 not, not, not circumcised. Not, <laughs> that's a joke. That's a, we, don't do that at, we don't do that at Emmanuel. That's, that's not a requirement for membership. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but there is a coffee mug in here. We do coffee, okay? We do coffee really well. So text SAVE to 65248, and we'll get one of these to you in, the, in, in your hands. Can we give God glory today? Amen. I'm going to pray really quick. I'm going to pray really quick and then dismiss to our local teams. God, we love you. Thank you that you're the God of the comeback. No matter what our setback is, you have a comeback for us in mind. God, help us to cooperate with that, to believe, to dig deep and find reasons, to, to create a strategy, and to develop grit, to interpret the events in an optimistic way so we can get back up and keep moving. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Right now, I'm going to hand things off to the local teams. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend.